scripture reading for today comes from Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. Follow along in your scriptures or in the bulletin. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though, I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you, not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the opportunity to hear your word. We thank you for Paul and his words of encouragement that us as Gentiles can be heirs through Christ that the power of your spirit indwells us, that we can rest in the work that you have done, seated at the right hand of God, it is finished. Lord, thank you for this. May those seeking solace in your word, in the word of encouragement of another, Lord, may we rest in the fact that is our union with Christ that gives us victory over all things. Encourage our hearts today. I pray that you would encourage Andrew. Give him the gift, the conversation of the Spirit that he has dwelt on this topic for the week. Guide us, we pray, as we listen and affirm what we hear. In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, amen. May be seated. Well, here we go, back to Ephesians. We have three more weeks, so we're going to finish out Ephesians 1 to 3 this week, and then two weeks on Paul's prayer, 
14 to the end of the chapter, and then we'll take a little break for Advent, and we will eventually come back and finish off Ephesians uh, chapters 4 to 6. If you remember the flow of thought here, and this is important because uh, the passage that we have here today is kind of known as Paul's digression. Uh, he, he digresses from his point of thought. Um, but the flow of thought has been, you know, Paul starts in the heavenlies, and he, he wants us to have the heavenly perspective, God's sovereignty, uh, plan, the laying out of his plan, the love that he has for a people to adopt them, uh, redemption, all of those things that we looked at in, in chapter 1. Uh, he concludes chapter 1 by saying the, that Christ is the victor overall. He is over all peoples, powers, rulers, authorities, this age and the age to come. And then in chapter 2, he demonstrates that to us through two proofs. The first proof is verses 1 to 10 of chapter 2, namely that, that Christ died in order that we might be brought from death to life. Uh, and so we have that great passage there, though you were dead in your sins and trespass, you've been made alive together with Christ. And then his second proof is that what, what Christ is doing in individuals, uh, uniting them, making them into the church, the twain, the two have become one, Paul says, and he uses the Jew-Gentile as, uh, as an example of that, and, and he talks about then the church being the, the monument that expresses the glory of God, and we've been looking at some of these themes over the last couple of weeks, and we read through uh, chapter 3, 1 to 13 here, I'm sure you saw some of those themes coming back in, uh, the mystery, uh, the Gentiles, the Jews, access to the Father, the church, all of these different things that we've been talking about. But Paul digresses here and why. Well, if you look at the, the passage, you notice that he, he starts out in verse 1 by saying, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner on behalf of, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then he sort of pauses and he, and he breaks his thought and he goes into his digression and he comes back to it in verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. So he has a reason, but he realized that he said, I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Uh, and, and he wants, he wants to make sure that they understand what that means and that they don't stumble over this. Because remember, he has just said that Jesus is over all. And now Paul is saying, I am a prisoner. And there might be some that say, well, if your God is over all, uh, how is it that the God of Rome now has you in prison? Or how is it that the Jews are coming to make their accusations against you? If your God is so powerful, then maybe you shouldn't be suffering in the way that you are. And this is just a, a great uh, question for us because we certainly all, uh, we all recognize it. We, had our lament service the other night, and 
uh, folks wrote out their laments. You know, these, these are all laments having to do with the world that we live in, uh, very similar to, to what Paul uh, was wrestling with in the midst of a, a Roman uh, secular society. How do we live as Christians? Uh, we recognize that. We have laments here that have to do with just our own personal uh, lack of making progress in our spiritual life and discouraged about that. And how do we, how do we go? I, I feel so lost. Here, these are all laments having to do with our family. Uh, our parents, our, our kids, our adult kids, you know, they're, how do I process all of these things? And Paul recognizes like a good pastor. This is what I, I love about going to the Scripture and seeing this. Paul isn't just, uh, you know, spouting theology. Uh, Paul isn't just, you know, proclaiming all of these uh, untethered truths, but rather he's saying, this matters. This matters for your life, and this is why this matters. Specifically, he says in verse 13, I, I don't want you to lose heart over what I am suffering for you. And that's really what the purpose of this digression is. Pastor Paul is coming to his congregation, and he's saying, life is hard, you're struggling with various things. You see those around you struggling with, very, with various things, but don't lose heart. And here's why. Here's, here's why or how we, we don't lose heart. And I have four things for you. Spent a bunch of time this week cleaning off leaves from yards and taking loads down to the dump. So maybe I was thinking about trees, uh, but uh, here we are. How do we not lose heart? Like any good tree, we need to find good soil. Uh, notice, you know, how Paul is shaped in his thinking. Paul is going to say a variety of things. He, he says, I, I'm a prisoner for Jesus Christ. Uh, we're going to come back to that in a little bit. Uh, but he doesn't say, I'm a prisoner of Rome. He doesn't say, I'm being accused by the Jews. He, he has a theology that is shaping how he views his circumstances. He's saying, I am a prisoner for Jesus Christ. Paul is grounded in his view of the world in what has been revealed to him. You see that in verses 3 to 6. Uh, he continues to come back to this idea. Um, a stewardship has been given to me, a mystery made known by revelation. Uh, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of the church, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed by his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The mystery, of course, as he's been telling us in, in uh, chapter 2, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul always comes back to what has been revealed to him. Uh, he comes back to uh, God's Word, and that is the soil by which he is approaching what is happening to him in the world. And this is very different, because we oftentimes, or most oftentimes, we, we interpret life through our experiences. 
This thing has happened to me, therefore God must be against me, or this, that, or the other thing, rather than starting with God. It's one of the great things about this book of Ephesians is Paul just starts right there, God, uh, chapter 1, and he begins by laying things out from that heavenly perspective. And this then shapes how he thinks about these things. It is not so much my circumstances which determine uh, how, I, how I view the world, but rather it is this revelation. He speaks about it in terms of mystery. What does he mean by that? Um, he also speaks about it in terms of the apostles, the prophets. This is a repeat uh, from chapter 2, verse 20. He talks about the revelation that has been given through the prophets and the apostles. And what he's saying here is that there is a story to the world. Uh, there's a story that begins in Genesis. It goes through Revelation. The, the prophets have unfolded this. The apostles are, are bringing it forward. Christ himself is the center of this story. And, and this is the mystery, not in the sense that it's a secret, but it's been unfolded to us to our ability to understand it. And now in Christ, uh, things are much clearer. Here's how one person talks about mystery. Mystery in the New Testament sense is a technical term pertaining to a truth which, because of its character, can never be attained to or arrived at by the unaided human intellect or by mere ability. The thing itself is clear. But because man is what he is, finite and sinful, uh, humans cannot, by their own unaided intellect, arrive at it or understand it. So the key when we read this, this is not like some deep secret that we've got to find, you know, through all sorts of different machinations, but rather, this is the story. That's what Paul is saying. This is the story that has been revealed from Genesis to now. In the past, things weren't always as clear, Paul was saying. It was there. I mean, we go back and we read Genesis 3.15 and we recognize that God had a plan that was inclusive of all who would come to believe in Him. You know, we see it in His promises to Abraham that you would be a light to the Gentiles. But it was played out station by station. But now in Christ... You know, Paul is saying this has been revealed and we live into that. And that's Paul's grounding place. That's his anchor, uh, the revelation of God. And as we think about that for ourselves, you know, we, we come to our various circumstances of life. And the question is, do we start with the circumstance or do we start with God? And Paul is pointing us and he's saying, read your life through the pages of Revelation. And then things will make more sense to you than if you try to read Revelation through your life. That, that's going to make less sense to you. So find good soil. Secondly, sink deep roots. We see this uh, in uh, verses 7 to 12. You know, in verse 12, Paul says we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. This too is a repeat from chapter 2, verse 18, where Paul says, uh, for through Christ we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Uh, Paul is saying, as a believer, as somebody who has been brought from dead 
to life, somebody who has been united with other believers and forming the church, we have access to the Father. This was a big thing. Uh, Paul is thinking about access just in terms of our citizenship, you know, just how we have that ability to go and to find ourselves in the throne room of the king, so to speak. We have that right. And Paul is saying, I, we take advantage of this. We take advantage of this to, to grow. We take advantage of this to search out the, the great mercies of Christ. He puts it in a couple of different ways. In verse 8, he says, um, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, a grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And then in verse 10, he talks about uh, the manifold wisdom of God, that it might be known to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. Here, Paul talks about the you know, we think about sinking deep roots. You're, you're drawing nutrients from something that is able to provide you. And, and what Paul is saying is that when we come to Christ, when we come to God, there is more there than we could ever possibly withdraw. It will never run out. These are the unsearchable riches of Christ. It's like you get into a mine or a bank vault and you pull out, you know, the, the first level of riches and you just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper. And you could never exhaust the, the amount of resources that is there. We talk about the wisdom of God. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives freely out of his manifold wisdom. Paul uses so many adjectives in, in Ephesians because he can't find the words to talk about just how much God has on offer for us, just how much He gives to us. It is the unsearchable riches, the manifold wisdom of God. It's, it's a picture so beautiful that He says the, the rulers and the principalities, they are looking into these things. Chapter 6, verse 12, Paul talks about the rulers and authorities. He talks about them in terms of the enemies of Christ, uh, the, the principalities, rulers of the air. We know in First Peter, when Peter is talking about the plan of salvation, chapter 1, verse 12, he says angels are desiring to look into these things. So, so here Paul is saying is there is a treasure trove of riches available to you. It's unsearchable, it's limits, the wisdom is manifold, all of the universe is looking into this. And he says, you have boldness and access to go and avail yourself to it. And you see that Paul uh, begins to minister out of these resources. Verses 7 and 8, he says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the workings of his power to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, the grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. You see, when Paul dives into this, his access, the riches, it fills him. 
He just over and over talks about this grace and he talks about this gift. Verses 7 and 8, and it's like five times he keeps coming back to it. He's so humbled. He says, it's not me. I was the very least. You know, Paul is probably making a play on his Latin name there, Paulus, which means small, uh, little, small Paul. He says, I, I, I am the least but the, the riches of who Christ is, the, the wisdom of God, that is what has filled me, and that is what I move forward in. And that's our invitation. I mean, we face so many things in our life, but when we find the soil of God's Word, when we find uh, the revelation of this King of the universe, this one who has drawn close to us, the invitation is to sink our roots deep, uh, to drink from it, to allow it to to fill our body. It was said of John Bunyan, who's the author of Pilgrim's Progress, that if you cut him, he bled Scripture. Uh, and, And that's kind of the idea that we see from Paul here. He's so filled up with the the riches of Christ that every time he opens his mouth, he's talking about how unequipped he is, but how equipped he is through Christ. He's talking about the grace. He's talking about the gift. And it is what gives him the power to go forward. And he does indeed go forward. You see, the, the third observation here is that Paul bears good fruit. Every tree bears good fruit, and they also bear a lot of leaves in the fall. Uh, but uh, they, they bear the fruit. How do we see that with Paul? Well, if you look at verse 1, you look at verse 7, you look at verse 13, you see Paul is laying out his life on behalf of others. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, You know, of this gospel, verse 7, I was made a minister or a servant according to the gifts of God's grace. Verse 13, don't lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. One of the things that we observe uh, with folks that have uh, really dug deep into the mystery, the revelation of who Christ is, is that you see a a turn in their life. Rather than being curved in on ourselves, rather than being preoccupied, rather than being obsessed by the things that are going wrong in our life or the challenges that we have, there is a movement outward. Uh, that embraces others, that uh, thinks about the world differently and can uh, live for others. Paul certainly has this for the Gentiles. Think about the Apostle Paul, what you know about him. He grew up a Hebrew of the Hebrews, right? Tribe of Benjamin, all of these different things, educated at the feet of Gamaliel. Uh, Just he was at the top in terms of Judaism, Uh, And at the top in terms of Judaism meant that he would pray every day, I thank you, Lord, that I am not a Gentile. And now here he is serving uh, his God, seeing that these Gentiles are brought into the kingdom, the mystery of God being revealed. He was persecuting Christians who believe this, and yet God had turned him around so that he is no longer 
persecuting, but he himself is being persecuted and in prison. This is not what we do in order to earn God's favor. I think most of you know this. You know, we think through these passages and we think, wow, if I could only be like Paul, then God would love me. But that's actually not the gospel. Paul's saying, no, what I discovered is that God loved me from before the foundations of the world, and therefore, my life was not my own, but I belonged to my faithful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and He was willing to lay down His life. It is always God's grace that is first and foremost in our hearts and lives. And when we experience that, we see this bearing fruit, not in order to earn God's love, but because He has already bestowed it upon us in Christ Jesus. It's really a a wonderful picture of what the church is. You know, Paul has been saying that the church is the monument to Christ's glory. And again, we've said it the last couple of weeks, like, it's hard for us to think in that. I mean, the church is just so disparaged in so many different ways. And truthfully, as we lamented on, on Sunday night, there, there are some reasons for that because the church is filled with sinful people. Uh, the, there are missteps that are made here and there, you know, various places, very significant things throughout history. And I know some of you bear the marks of that. But what, what Paul is saying here is that there is a reality uh, that, that enters into our lives and we see the evidence of it in that disparate people can come together and live their lives not simply for what they are getting out of it, but they can live their lives for the sake of another. Uh, and they can spend themselves and be spent for the sake of another. The last thing that I want to highlight for you this morning, and I think it is one of the really important things that we have here uh, with regards to what, you know, Paul's digression, what he is saying here in this detour. He starts, he says, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then he stops. As we said, he realizes that this is probably going to be a stumbling point for the Ephesians. Wait a minute, I I just said that Jesus is overall, how can I be a prisoner? You know, if Jesus is overall, isn't he going to save us from all the suffering that we might have to otherwise undergo in this world? And as we've said, I mean, this is a question that a lot of us have. Uh, because life is hard. And, and sometimes there's this idea that if we just follow Jesus, then, then it will be okay. All of our questions will be answered. Uh, everything will be laid plain and bare, and, and it will be easy, and it'll just be one, you know, sort of steady uphill climb until we get to heaven. But we know that's not the case, and Paul wants to make sure that they don't lose heart over the suffering. So what is he trying to tell us? What what do we need to take from this, and how how do we grow from this? Paul here, instructively in verse 1, says, I, Paul, a prisoner 
for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. This wasn't just the sake of, you know, Paul is super, um, you know, super moralistic, you know, is willing to sacrifice his life because he believed in a cause. There's lots of people who aren't Christians uh, who are willing to do that. that. That's not exactly what Paul is talking about. What he's saying, though, is that I am a prisoner for Christ Jesus. He says that is the thing that is the truth that is sort of the linchpin that is holding all of my world together. This is the cornerstone, the capstone, to use language that he had used earlier in Ephesians. This is what the foundation is, is that I am a prisoner for Christ Jesus. I am not a prisoner of Rome. I am not uh, a prisoner because of the accusations of the Jewish people, but I am a prisoner for Christ Jesus. I may be in chains, but Jesus is the one that has put me in chains. Jesus is the one who has a plan that goes beyond my chains. Rome may think that they've won. Uh, the Jews may think that they have gained a victory over me, but I am a prisoner for Christ Jesus. And he says, do not stumble over that, because what I am suffering is for your glory, he says in verse 13. And what we get here is we get the heart of the gospel, because so much of our, our modern way of living says that victorious living is victory. <laughs> Victorious living is when things go well. Victorious living is when you, uh, you get the job that you want, you get the spouse that you want, you have the kind of marriage that you want, you have the kind of kids that you want, you have the type of ease and comfort and all of those things in life. When you have all of that that you want, then you have achieved victory. You know, if Paul had applied that to his life, he said, I would have had the kind of ministry that I wanted. I would have gone forward. I've been doing all of these things, you know, mega church, all of these different things. But Paul says, no, I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus because I recognize when I look at Jesus's life that the way victory is achieved, that the way glory is experienced looks very different than the world. Where was it that we see the glory of Christ most clearly manifest? Was it not when he was suspended on the cross? That instrument of Roman execution that was outside of the city because they considered everyone who was pinned up on a cross like a specimen, excrement of society, and that's where it belonged. But it's there on that cross that Jesus displays his greatest victory. And he helps us to understand that the story that he's writing isn't like every other story. In fact, it's unlike any other story. Uh, it's a story where strength is most made known in weakness. And where weakness is the path to victory. Those who are first shall be last. Those who are last shall be first. And, and that's what Paul is going at here. I can, I can rejoice in my, in my chains. I can, I can celebrate the sufferings that I have for you, Paul says in Colossians. Uh, I can celebrate these things because I know that there is a deeper reality to this world. 
It doesn't start with our circumstances, but it starts with God. And it understands that it's through these things, not around them, not bypassing them. It's through these things that we find God at work in ways that we least expect it. I mean, this is the story of the Scriptures, right? When David went to face Goliath, he wasn't the strongest. He wasn't uh, the mightiest in battle. He was a shepherd boy. Came to bring some bread and cheese to his brothers. But he said, you know, I come to you in the name of the Lord. When John was writing to the people, the disciples, Ephesus and other places from the Isle of Patmos. He wasn't writing from a place of prominence. He, he didn't have, you know, a high circulation with the Washington uh, Post or the New York Times or anything. He was a prisoner on an island, but that message continues to go out. When Jesus died on the cross, He didn't die on the cross in order that we might not suffer. But he died on the cross in order to satisfy the wrath of his father, to demonstrate the love and mercy that he has for his people. And he died on the cross in order that our suffering might have meaning. When we, when we go through, when we find ourselves a prisoner in chains, we can say, this has meaning because I am united to Christ in His sufferings. And we gain, uh, we gain confidence, we gain a, a vision for reality that enables us to go through. Now, it doesn't mean that uh, it's easy. Of course not. We're going to pray for the persecuted church uh, this morning. Uh, and, and we certainly pray for folks in other parts of the world that are experiencing what it means to not have the good soil of the Scriptures, uh, to uh, experience what it is to have their faith be the reason that they maybe face physical violence or would lose their life or their job or something like that. We, we certainly pray for those things. We recognize those things as broken, but we don't necessarily pray that God would take those things away. What we pray is for God's strength in the midst of those things. Uh, we, we pray that, that whatever God's plans are, uh, we, we trust that He knows more than us. And so we pray that God would, uh, that His presence would be made known, that folks walking through those trials would experience the very nearness of God, even as He has promised that to us. Think about that for ourselves. You know, Paul is writing this. He's saying, I, I'm, I'm writing these things to you that you would not lose heart. And it's so easy to want to lose heart. You know, all, all of our laments, it's easy to want to give up and to give in. But what Paul is saying is, God is on his throne. I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus. And, and so don't lose heart. I know, you know, we go to the polls this, this Tuesday. And I know some of you have had these conversations are, are pretty anxious about this, you know concerned about our country, concerned about where it might go, if this candidate gets in, if this proposal passes or fails, or whatever it might be. Uh, part of what, what 
what Paul is saying here is he allow your theology, the things you know to be true about the world, to shape your interactions with the world. Start with God. Start with God. And then allow that to shape how you think about the world. Now, that doesn't mean, of course, that we just sit back and we're fatalistic. No, we need to be educated in terms of the issues that are before us in these elections. We need to go to the polls, you know, with the Scriptures. Uh, clearly, in our heart and our mind, we need to have King Jesus on the throne, not some other political party or anything like that. We absolutely need to do that, but we rest in the fact that God is the king and he is the supreme and he is the ruler over all. And even if we lose, God has a way of writing where defeats become victories uh, and, and times when we think that we've won that we've actually lost. And he says, think about it these ways. I, Susan and I were uh, talking about our friend Virginia Yep, some of you knew Virginia when she was among us, and she would talk about the persecuted church, and, and she would say, and she's back in China now, um, she would say, I, I just don't see it that way. You know, it's not, it's not persecution. It, it's, it's Holy Spirit-inspired opportunities. Yeah, there, there are difficulties, and we certainly need to think about those things, but, but these are opportunities to stand for the gospel and to stand for Christ. And that's what Paul is saying here. Small Paul, uh, relying on the finished work of Jesus, he's saying, I, Paul, am a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. The King is on His throne. Praise be to Him. Will you pray with me? Father, thank You for this Word. We thank You for the way that it does come into our life and the way that it comes into uh, our, our consciousness. Lord, we, we do pray that it would fill our hearts and that we would be strengthened by it. Lord, I, I know that each person here has concerns, they have laments, they have things that are uh, causing them to stay awake at night. Lord, we pray that you would bring to us the, the truth of your revelation, uh, the, the assurance of the fact that you have finished the work, the boldness that we have to come into your throne room, the unsearchable riches of Christ that we can never exhaust. And may we have a confidence to be your people in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond singing the song printed for you in your bulletin, God is good. Uh, we'll stand in body, spirit as we prepare to go to the Lord's table.